0: Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann.
1: Thanks, Justin. Thanks, me And thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast, shining a light on bright ideas. Today, guys, we are talking all about startups, the entrepreneurship world. We're going to talk about what makes a great startup and what doesn't. Um, You're going to learn some lessons learned from a guy who is just an unbelievable master in this space. I, I can't even wait for you to meet my good friend, Patrick Bryant. Patrick, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks,
2: Justin. So good to
1: be here. It is so awesome that you're here. Um, for those that don't know Patrick, many of you probably do. I mean, like he's a known guy in this space, but I only met him a couple of weeks ago. We were doing this program together um, with the U.S. Navy. Uh, it was called Leaders to See, and now it's called the DV program. Um Uh, And Distinguished Visitors, by the way, what DV stands for. And so we went out on the USS Abraham Lincoln and learned all about the Navy, how leadership works there, how they train their people. And we totally connected. And um, man, I couldn't wait to get with you afterwards and talk about that and then talk about entrepreneurship. What did you think about that program, though?
2: Oh my gosh! It was the most unbelievable thing. I mean, you know, one of my number one takeaways is how loud it is directly under an aircraft carrier. <laughs> you mean also. at night? Uh, yeah, and and when you go to sleep uh, in oh a in God. a bunk where planes are landing a few feet above your head, uh, It was crazy,
1: <laughs> yeah. wasn't it? Oh my gosh! It was an gosh. amazing
2: experience, but yeah. but really my my key takeaway i i'm kidding my key takeaway was the leadership on the ship i mean the leadership inside of uh the the navy is unbelievable and uh and i was really proud of our our men and women that that serve and leave and that lead in that
1: capacity totally agree yeah, we had a chance to interact with a lot of folks on the ship not just the leaders that were giving us to walk around but a lot of folks serving and learning and i mean that's a whole podcast in itself i actually just blogged on it and talked about some of the biggest takeaways um and it was fascinating, even, you know, you were going to talk about startups and entrepreneurship, but there's a lot to what we saw there with individuals, like having to manage their own brand and kind of their own capacity of, of being a self-starter. And I think some of those people may be going into their own businesses one day.
2: A hundred percent. I mean, you could tell that they have a a really rigorous program to teach the junior members of the Armed forces how to be mentored into leadership positions that certainly plays well when they when they get out and, and get into Either the workforce or, uh, as you said, start a business.
1: Yeah, so cool. Anyway, um, so so great. You know, I, and I love you know, I love meeting people like Patrick. It's like unexpected, and then I've gotten, I've learned so much from him. Even a couple weeks since we met, and um, and today you guys are going to have that opportunity. Patrick is a serial entrepreneur, um, started amazing companies, and in, in the middle of a bunch of them today, and we're going to dive into that. But Patrick, let's let's start with your background. How did you even get started in the whole startup world?
2: Well, I'm one of these hustler entrepreneurs that was doing my own first business at sixteen, but, but <laughs> didn't town. have employees was just out <laughs> hustling around uh, doing graphic design and and then slowly learned more and more about entrepreneurship uh, and and wanting to control my own destiny, have freedom. Uh, for me, that's my number one compensation value is is freedom uh you can you can offer me a lot of money but if i don't get to do what i want to do when i wake up in the morning then then i'll pass
1: (laughs) i love that so you're (laughs) doing your own thing since 16 when did it become like the main thing or was it always the main thing
2: no no i had a a first job out of college uh in sales for software and then shortly thereafter that that lasts about years. Uh, a business partner, or excuse me, not business partner, but a former boss of mine became my business partner. Uh, Dwayne Scott was my uh, boss at our local TV station throughout college, and he wanted to start a business. And man, I was I was jazzed by that idea of starting a, a business in in this case in the journalism video field. And we. Put together a business plan, became two guys in a truck and a hundred thousand dollar SBA <laughs> loan, and really? Uh, really? got to got to work. Uh, so then that that was in those early days. That was that moment where you're leaving your job, you got a loan, you got to make this work. You're just hustling every day to make sure that you're busy enough to to stay afloat. And uh, and we were just. Cranking it hard as young
1: entrepreneurs. <laughs> and what was the industry then? What What were you guys doing from a solution perspective? So
2: we were we were shooting video for the major networks. Got so it. I saw it in your background
1: broadcasts and whatnot. Yeah, yep.
2: yeah. If if you're if you're with a major network, NBC News, HGTV, Travel Channel, uh, any of those uh, broadcast television clients, they all hire out vendor crews to go shoot the video that you then see on TV. So they might have some staff, uh, sure. but they have a whole sure. lot of vendors too. And and so we created a business that filled that need for them uh, initially in the Southeast. And now, of course, it's throughout the United States.
1: Wow. That's pretty cool. And you know, in the early days of that, were there some did you have wins out of the gate or did it take time or like when did it go from anxiety to okay, I think we got something here?
2: It was anxiety for maybe the first 6 months. Um we were we were really hustling, we were working. I mean, I had days that I can remember doing that that sales job of saying, all right, I'm going to wake up this morning. I'm going to call everybody that I can find until I can get us a shoot. And, uh, and in that moment, uh, I did that one day. I told my business partner I was going to do it. And at six o'clock I gave up. I was like, man, I have called everyone in the world. Uh, I, I am going to pause for the day, but, but hit it hard again tomorrow and accept that, that we couldn't get a shoot right off. Uh, and they called at eight o'clock that night and booked a shoot. Wow, nice! <laughs> so uh, so uh, one of the people I called up. earlier that day, and uh, and so we were we were hustling, we were working, we were we were going at it hard. And then um, about six months into the business, we were we were moving forward, but had a breaking moment where Monica Lewinsky, the story out of DC with, uh, <laughs> of course, Bill Clinton uh, broke wide open and we were there. We, we hustled ourselves into the mix very quickly, uh, got on the assignment and ended up staying in DC for what we call a gravy train, uh, which was (laughs) eight weeks of work back then. We needed, we needed six days a month to break even. And in that one assignment, we got eight weeks in a
1: row. Uh, wow. That's almost like, that's that's like the whole year almost
2: exactly i mean we <laughs> I had it was right. our breaking moment <laughs> right. you know it just it it was uh it put us in a position that a the networks trusted us now we had been on a big story we were a major you know uh trusted supplier and in addition of course we had the cash flow to, to right. power us forward right. for a little bit so so that was really Monica was our our breaking moment but then after that it was Ileon gonzalez and the elections of hanging chads and and story after story after story of uh of television production and um and that's really where after that moment that we we hit our stride and started to grow and and really that's where the the story for me changes from hustling to start an entrepreneurial enterprise to how do you be you know get good to great right how do you start doing the things to really scale and build a company that that has uh, large sustainability like it does today.
1: Sure. now I have to ask like uh, I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and not everyone is good at both. Some people are the startup idea person, some people are the operate run grow person. Were you able to make that transition or like where did you find your skill sets in, in that that you know in that discovery?
2: I, I really I, I was in the beginning you know i I, I love it at zero I love it uh, when we've got um, you know a few employees and we're we're really just filling figuring business model out that's where i I thrive I did run that company for 15 years and and grew it to 10 offices so I felt wow, like
1: that's amazing I had,
2: I had taken it you know in a pretty good scale moment uh, but what I now know about myself, Is I probably should have left earlier um, because I am really good at zero to ten employees. But at ten employees, you want me to leave the company, and somewhere around twenty, you know, I'm I'm tapped out. So uh, at at ten, I want to leave. At twenty, you you want me to leave. I I just don't like the babysitting of a strategic plan to be quite frank and and i wrote a five-year strategic plan inside a go-to team uh and executed on it and that was really what taught me hey you know what if we have a five-year strategic plan i'm probably not the guy i I like to be there when when our strategic plan is about you know Three months
1: <laughs> right. out. Got it. So,
2: Got it. I like it when we're all still, you know, white knuckled hanging on to the side of the cliff. Um, when when there starts to be some certainty and we can see down the road and and all that, I love planning and thinking that through and helping with it. But from an execution standpoint, I turned the company over to Sean Moffitt, who's my business partner, uh, after that that 10 office growth. And he grew it to 20 offices within oh. four years after me leaving. So, uh, you know, I think I had I had probably slowed down and wasn't executing <laughs> as fast as right. someone else could. And and I'm I'm ever grateful that Sean Moffat is such a great business partner.
1: That's awesome, yeah, and I think that's something I, you know a new entrepreneur doesn't know until they're in it, right? Um, but we always hear about it from, you know, from those that are, have lived through it and walked through it. Um, exactly, exactly. You yeah, don't until, you've until it. you're in it, right? So, okay, so fast forward a bit. So today, you're involved with a number of startups. Talk about your your scope today and the things you're really focused on.
2: Well, I really went from a media company to having that moment of uh, being. Exited where I didn't know what I was gonna do the next day. That's and, weird, uh, by the way. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, that's
1: fantastic. Got it.
2: My my personality just doesn't doesn't sit well on a beach. Um, <laughs> no, so me neither. So I knew I, I knew something else was coming, but I I figured, hey, you know what? Let me just feel what this feels like. Like, what does it mean, you know, that I don't have to go to work tomorrow? And uh, and I really did. Uh, I maybe rested the weekend between the Friday and the Monday. uh, <laughs> that was probably
1: difficult, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on Monday, I was like, dang, I guess I should go to work and just try to figure out what next feels like. And uh, we had already had an idea to help our community by starting a nonprofit accelerator. And then also at the same time, we had been incubating inside of a cigar company, a partner uh, and I, Dave Brown, who's incredibly smart. Dave and I were, uh, incubating this idea around gold rolling papers. So we, we take off down that road and, and have a big, a big moment where, uh, shine rolling papers, which is a Uh, a 24 Uh, karat gold rolling paper, um, took off like a, a rocket ship. Again, it took about six, eight months for us to really find the right, uh, the market fit, the right, um, uh, you know, uh, pricing and way <laughs> right. to present it and branding. But after that, we hit a little stride and, and rolling papers took off. And okay. so that was. But you
1: didn't know the first thing about rolling papers, did you? I mean, like, I really a, did what? not. Rolling no. papers, like, I
2: was. Uh, I had invested in this cigar company because my friend Got had it. asked me Got to. Uh, and so I didn't even really know anything about cigars. But the, <laughs> you know, people would would ask me when I was public speaking, they would say, hey, uh, you must be really passionate about cigars. You own a cigar company. And I would say, well, I used to smoke one a year, and now I can <laughs> right. walk in a humidor and get any of them, and I'll smoke like two a year. Yeah, uh, that's
1: me. I'm about I'm a two-a-year guy. I'm not passionate
2: about cigars, but yeah. I'm passionate about selling things to people that want to buy them. Right. Uh, so so you, sometimes you have to shift your passion but we really, we did this cigar thing that was fantastic. And I, I really did enjoy being in the, in the cigar business and then the rolling paper business it, it pivoted from cigars over to rolling papers. And, um, I, I did learn a good bit about cannabis, but still to this day, I'm, I'm certainly not nearly as educated on it as, as many others sure. and, uh, sure.
1: and my business partner. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. an area that's booming right now, as you know, I mean, and, um, the cannabis space and in food and beverage and and also in the and and across the industries it's just exploding and and it's gonna be continue to do so in the next couple of years um
2: well I know you see a lot of that i mean in and, and cannabis is is really uh, i think a fantastic um industry a to b in but also b to like literally legitimize and get a product out into the world that I truly believe people should have access to totally. and uh, is it is a positive product?
1: Yeah, I totally agree, yeah. and uh, and it's yeah, it's we, it's it's making its way into you know mainstream consumer products, which is interesting. Um, you mentioned also a nonprofit platform. Talk about that a bit.
2: So uh, we started the Harbor Entrepreneur Center in Charleston, South Carolina, which is a nonprofit devoted to helping people. Collide in entrepreneurship. So, we really just wanted to create a network of entrepreneurs inside of the community where they could get support, give support, help each other, uh, get to know each other. The, the thing early on when we were starting it, as people would say, Hey, you know, what can we do to help entrepreneurship thrive in South Carolina and in, especially in Charleston? And uh, John Osborne, who I founded that with, had this great ending to every speech that he gave on entrepreneurship, where he would say the number one thing you can do to help entrepreneurs in Charleston is do business with them. Like that's all they want. Right. And, and, uh, and I would even add on to it and be like, look, my birthday just passed and literally all I wanted for my birthday was like a big contract for, (laughs) for our rolling papers company or our video company or something, right? Um, It's just the best gift in the world to an entrepreneur to trust them early on, to help them, to, if you don't like their product, like even tell them that, like that is good data for an entrepreneur to understand like why you don't want something so they can pivot and make it better. Uh, So we really, we tried to focus on that. How can we uh, affect change in, Charleston and make every entrepreneur know every other entrepreneur our our thought process was you know the municipalities were trying real hard to to help entrepreneurs in the way that they do and and we said look all we need as entrepreneurs is the ability to know each other because if you connect two known entrepreneurs with each other, they will handle it from here.
1: Right. Totally. <laughs> they,
2: they got it. They know what they're doing. They know how to do it. Uh, they just need to be better connected, and and then have some basic, you know, space that's provided uh, that they can zip in and out of, and and uh, ability to to kind of have some some tools at their disposal. But ultimately, uh, good entrepreneurs just find a way to do it.
1: Not surprised. Wow. Um, you've looked at a lot of companies. I'm sure you've become a go-to mentor for many, um, and people have come to you also for investment and whatnot. Um, and you've been in the market and this kind of startup space for a while. Talk to us a bit about the industry, um, how it's changed or evolved over time, or maybe it hasn't. What's, what's been consistent and what's changed?
2: Well, I would say that the, the multiples that are currently being handed out in the innovative scalable companies are as high as I've ever seen them there's a lot of money on the street for those scalable innovative companies and and it took me a long time as an entrepreneur it's one of the things the the center now teaches is that mindset of okay if you create a service based company where you're selling your time that's a good company please do it if that's your first step for goodness sake take it but after that start to educate yourself on how to make something scalable uh and now i'm thinking software um even products can be scalable but physical products of course are less scalable than um than software and 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 even medical devices are a good a good next step there where okay it's a physical product but it's got a lot of innovation behind it so it's very difficult for other people to to compete with you because of the the innovation factor. So really that's what over my career I've learned and focused on is this idea of how do we create companies that have a level of innovation and scale that they can really sell, sell to everyone around the world repeatedly. That to me is the magic sauce. And that's what we're seeing right now compared to say, 10 years ago, where it, it really is, the multiples are, are going up in a very big way for these innovative, scalable kind of concepts. Now, uh, again, there's a lot of money on the street, so even a service-based company can get, you know, three to five times their uh, net Revenue per year, but some of these innovative, scalable software companies, for sure. instance, that I'm involved in, I mean, we, we're talking valuations at uh, six to 10x top line. Right. So instead of three to I'll five bottom line, net. we're talking Got it. You know, six to 10 top line, it changes the game entirely. I mean, it, no it, doubt. it really uh, makes exit a different.
1: Yeah. And, and I would say, you know, in the technology world, software as a service, um, flexible services, and then building recurring revenue streams, right? I mean, that's what's driving that top line growth for some of these startups.
2: That's exactly right, Justin. Exactly.
1: Um, you've seen a number of great companies. I'm sure people have, you've been asked to invest in some of them. Um, and you've probably seen some that you're like, whoa, not, not. Not gonna happen. I, when you when you think about our audience, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs thinking about their pitch. Uh, how do they grow their brand, their product, their package, their company? Right, their top line because many of them probably want to be bought. Like what oh, makes like- what makes a good pitch slash company? Like, what are the things you see that are characteristic of that? And maybe a couple things that make for not the best uh, company in your mind.
2: Well, the third leg of the stool uh, to innovation and scale is ability to execute. So by far, the number one thing that I'm looking for uh, is twofold when presented an idea. The first one is, I think, am I someone with the ability to execute on this idea? You can bring me the best medical device in the world, (laughs) and I will say, look, I don't know the first thing about FDA. I have friends that want to go down that pathway. I I just don't know it, and it's not a space that I am going to be very helpful in, right? So my ability to execute as a strategic investor is probably not high. Now, I've invested in some, some medical devices, but that was because of the other side of the coin, which is... Your ability to
1: execute. Got it. Right.
2: And if I uh I've got a, a medical device that I invested in a few years ago that a friend of mine said, Hey, I'm not sure. You know, I'm thinking about investing in that too, but I'm not sure what's their valuation. And I literally said, I don't know. Uh Ryan <laughs> right. Fiorini is heading it up. So I'm in. Like I uh, There's certain people that I just trust them to know their business so well. And he's a multi-time, uh, ring-the-bell entrepreneur in medical device. He knows how to take it through the process. And when he tells me, hey, this is a good one and and we got our hands on it, I'm not saying it won't fail. I'm just saying, More man, I'd much rather bet on him than, sure. than a lot of other folks, right?
1: Makes sense. Um, what about... Any that you've seen that it, you know, as you think about the three legs of the stool, talk about the combinations that don't work. You might have an ability to execute, but you may not have other things.
2: Exactly. I think uh, if there's if there's something about it, it, most of the time I say no because it's just not my space. That's, sure. That's normally the first thing. I just don't understand it. I'm not sure about. It. I'm not saying you're not brilliant at it. Um, you know, if you if you've got a new a new idea, I'm not saying don't move forward. And I even tell people that constantly. I'm like, hey, look, I have to tell you, I don't know this space. I don't have the time or energy to learn it to make this investment. Um, And But that is not in any way indicative of what I think about this technology. You should keep moving forward. On the other hand, I have said, I know a lot about this space, right. and this is something that I really feel passionately about. Uh, you're going to have a tough time finding scale and innovation in this moment, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't move forward. I'm just saying it's going to be a longer uh, fight than, than what I'm interested in, in jumping in at this moment. And, and I'd also add, you know, there's these times where I've seen deals, people will bring me something, let's say in the video space, which I know really, really well, both software video and, and, you know, obviously professional services video and, and they will bring me something around that. And I will look at it and literally say, look, I think you're going up the waterfall side of this mountain. Um, (laughs) It's going to be a tough climb. Uh, I'm not saying you won't make it. You might be the best waterfall climber I've ever met. Um, but it's going to be hard. And I can think of a lot of ways to go around the backside of the mountain and, and take the easy path. Um, can, you know, is that something that you're even open to and good leaders will say, yeah, okay, tell me, tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you're missing. Tell sure. me what it is. And that helps me show, know that, oh, this is someone that wants to work and learn and, and be mentored. And then on the other hand, I have people go, you know, no, we just, we believe in this technology and, and we're going to plow forward with this thing. Um, and, and, and that's fine. Like I, you're, you're welcome to, to work go in, for on it. any idea you want.
1: Exactly. you know? you're the entrepreneur. That's right. Um, you, you've got a number of different balls in the air and uh, we've only talked about a couple of them. How do you manage your time? and or decide uh, I've got enough, you know, I don't need more, or, or I could take on more. How, how do you personally manage that?
2: Well, I think now of startups as movie scripts. My my whole mindset has changed over the years where now I believe that at any given time I'm in pre-production, I'm in production, and I'm in post-production. Oh, great analogy. Me, I mean, right, right. Uh, pre-production to me means I'm learning I'm looking at it. I'm paying attention. Maybe we've started to do some homework and investigate, slash, put together a deal agreement. Any of those things. Production is I'm in it, and I'm an operator. Like when I'm in a, a business, I want to I want to be there. I want to be in connection uh, with the entrepreneur that's powering it uh, or the team. I want to either play a mentor role or a um, a physical, actual, you know, operator role. And, and in those ways, I'm, I am I feel like I can only do one of those at a time, and I I got to turn my focus, and I got to work on it. And it might only be a six-month to a two-year engagement, uh, but that's I, I need a goal and a focus and know that I'm going to bring that to the table. And then post-production is, th- and this is where I, I think it's probably my unique skill in life, um, is that I have... Cultivated a group of friends over the years that I value more than than my uh, you know assets on my balance sheet. That is, I like to turn that over to someone else who wants to Got go it. run that business and and really focus on it. And then in that way, I can I can serve on the board. I can be a participant and a a fair, reasonable partner, which is what I always want to be. Um, you know, ethical and, and keep the, keep the train on the rails. uh, But at the same time, give that entrepreneur the full autonomy to go run like crazy on that business. And, and in many of my deals, uh, the entrepreneur always, well, every one of my deals, the entrepreneur that's running the business has equity. Sometimes the deal is different depending on what stage they came into the business or where the business was but uh, every time they have some sort of equity where they got skin in the game and they want to go build this thing as badly as I do.
1: Love that. And I love that mental model. That's really great. Um, the pre-in-production pre, and post-production. Um, that's really, really cool. Right. It's nice right. to have some structure. Uh, I always love to ask our guests uh, for two or three pieces of advice. You've offered so much already, but uh, I want to ask you to, to pile on. Um, when you've got early stage um, consumer product, especially, uh, entrepreneurs listening to our podcast, they're just getting off the ground. Some of them have gotten Kickstarter funding, some of them have venture funding, some of them are funding themselves. As they're just getting started, though, what are two or three pieces of advice that you'd offer to them as they're kind of in those first couple months, couple years even?
2: Well, I'll go in the same direction of sales with all of them. uh, Because I think for me, that was my number one uh, growth model that's allowed me to to help power things forward but it's really three different pieces of advice which is the the first piece of advice is sell something to someone <laughs> and, and i just beg entrepreneurs it to seems do that basic. <laughs> because there are so many entrepreneurs that say i'm not ready yet i don't have my minimum viable product together i don't think i can sell this uh and and what i always say is i don't care if you're baking cookies You cannot give the cookies to your grandma and expect her to give you good advice in return of what the cookies are. The only valid data is when you sold that cookie to a person because once you – let's say you had a a, a cookie that you sold to a person for the one cookie, $15. Sure. Man that is gonna be some valid feedback because that person is gonna eat that cookie and think this is worth $15, keep going, or this is not. And they're gonna be honest and they're gonna tell you the truth. So I'm not saying always sell cookies for $15, but (laughs) always sell your product to someone who is in your market for a cost that you believe is the right value for the thing. Uh, So sell something to someone. Then number two, uh, is really something we say a lot around here, which is you need to sell the ghost, which is I have entrepreneurs say, I'm not ready to sell yet. And I say, well, could you be ready in 30 days? Can you right, guarantee if you got an order? that you're, if I give you an order, you could deliver in 30 days, then yes. Well then go sell it without having it existing, and tell the person that you'll deliver in 30 days. Now, if you don't deliver, that's fraud. You gotta give the money back. You're wrong, stop doing that. But if you can get them to place an order, you already know you can go fill it. Now go fill the order and bring it back. And I just described what Bill Gates did to Microsoft, I mean, to create Microsoft to IBM, right? So selling the ghost is a fantastic uh, tool. And then the, the final little piece of nugget that I'll, I'll stay down that same channel is the best way to make money is to make somebody else a lot more money. So I just said, you know, sell that cookie for $15. Well, that's only applicable in my mind if that person that you're selling the cookie to gets to now go sell it for 30, right? And if that is is true and reasonable, then you're gonna have a super fan in who you sold that product to and they're gonna become your sales force. So for us, we're always looking for, all right, what are the sales channels that we can take with this particular product or service to say, okay, we're going to make a good amount of money uh, if we sell direct to the consumer, but who else can we sell to and devise our model in such a way that that person is going to go make a lot more money with our product? Because especially when you're starting out you need those kind of friends in the world and it is easy to get those friends when you are making them a lot of money (laughs) no doubt
1: (laughs) man we gotta have you back this is like (laughs) <laughs> this is too good. I can't even wait You're to fantastic. the next conversation, man. This is so great. Um, I I know everyone's like, don't cut it off, but yeah, I'm going to because we're going to do a part two. Um, so we'll consider this part one, man. This has been so great. Um, I love it. So before we go today, though, share with our audience how they can connect with you, learn about some of your businesses, and so forth.
2: Absolutely. the The first one I talked about is Go to Team in the broadcast television production space go to team.com uh and then shine rolling papers which is 24 karat gold rolling papers and then i i'm currently the ceo we didn't even mention it uh we have to say that for part two i'm currently the ceo of code and trust which is right. uh, code and trust.com uh and and so code trust does software development for entrepreneurs so everything i just talked about that's all we do is help entrepreneurs build their first minimum viable product. Uh, and so that's, that's why we're so passionate about it. And uh, so you can, you can hit me on codeandtrust.com. Uh, of course, I'm Patrick Bryant on, on LinkedIn, uh, but, uh, but codeandtrust.com is the easiest place to find all my
1: data. I love it, man. I, thank you so much for being here today uh, for the amazing advice. And yes, we're going to schedule a part two. I know I'm going to take another half hour of your time and, um, and look forward to having you back on
2: man i cannot wait it's so much fun and uh and i'm just thrilled that the uh the navy embark uh, program allowed the two of us to connect totally
1: man it's so cool how stuff like that happens i love it thanks for being here
2: thank you
0: the contender cast is sponsored by henderson shapiro peck and powered by contender brands